Hello everyone, I'm Angela and welcome to my channel. <laughs> First off, can you hear me? <laughs> because, um, yeah, I've had a few technical issues. Uh, so I'm really happy to start this live stream today, uh, which is on uh, Neoplatonism and it's um, and how Neoplatonism, well, both how Neoplatonism uh, has constructed a worldview around monism and also the effect that uh, this worldview and this philosophy has had on uh, magic and esoteric practices. Of course, it's not going to be comprehensive and exhaustive because uh, none of my videos are, uh, but we will try and address a few of the key and core principles and elements. So let me see who's there in the chat. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Cristina. Oh, hi, Cipriano. Um, Let me sort a technical issue for... Uh, give me a second. Here I am. <laughs> uh, can you uh, hear me okay, by the way? Because I changed the microphone, um, because I realized last time the microphone was not really good. Not good at all, I'd say. So do let me know if the uh, microphone sounds okay. Yeah, I, I think that there was a, an echo before, but hopefully now it's sorted. So, hi Stephen, hi Michael, hi Matt. Oh, Heidi, nice to see you. It's really nice to see all of you guys here. Thank you so much for <laughs> coming for all the Academic Fund Live. That's nice. So let's let's start with, uh, let's crack on with the uh, Neoplatonism. So, uh, as I said, <laughs> and uh, I made it pretty uh, clear, <laughs> um, I will be talking about uh, Neoplatonism and Esotericism. So the main uh, principles in Neoplatonism, especially with regards to uh, monism and the idea of the word and how the word is constructed and created. So um, please bear in mind that uh, there is a delay between when I uh, speak and when you write in the chat because uh, you will get um, the, the streaming like a few seconds, uh, sometimes like even a minute later than I'm actually um, recording. So it means that I will have to go back and um, read your, your comments. Uh, so that is important to bear in mind. Um, so 
um, the, um, uh, the live stream, the live lecture will be um, divided in three parts. At first, I will address the core concepts in Neoplatonism, especially in Plotinus and yeah, in Neoplatonic philosophy in general. Uh, second, I will address a few philosophers for whom the philosophy of, of Plotinus and um, Neoplatonism in general has had a massive effect, a massive impact. And these philosophers will, of, of course, be related to magic because this is the theme of the channel. And also I will address the impact on current esoteric and magical practices. So it is important to, for you, if you have any questions, and I hope you do have questions, uh, please uh, start your question by typing question in caps lock as your first word. Uh, this way I can immediately see uh, that you are uh, in fact asking me a question and not just uh, conversing with other, um, with other people in the chat, which is of course absolutely uh, fine and I do encourage it because uh, it is part of the, of the academic fun to share with other people and comment on things. So yeah, in order for me to clearly, immediately understand that you are asking a question, please do uh, type the word question in caps lock first and then um, you can follow it by your question. So let's now start with Neoplatonism. Uh, so Neoplatonism is um, related to the third century of the common era. It is interesting to notice that uh, actually Neoplatonists didn't um, call themselves Neoplatonists. This is a, a label that was attached to them later on. They would actually consider that they would have, they uh, used to consider themselves as Platonists, Platonists uh, even, uh, rather than Neoplatonists. But um, since their philosophy, um, of course it is um, massively inspired by Plato, but at the same time, it developed in a way that it is a creature in its own. And so um, uh, historians and philosophers who had come later uh, have relabeled it as Neoplatonism. It is, a, um, a it is a philosophy that has been utilized a lot by different religious traditions, uh, one of which perhaps the most famous of which is Christianity and because um, Neoplatonism came at a time where um, we may even say that Christianity kind of needed um, a, a way of rationalizing and explaining to uh, the wide world how come they believed in certain uh, ideas in a certain way of constructing the world on uh, how come they believed in um, this God creator and how from uh, this God all the creation uh, could emerge and emerge into creation. So Neoplatonism was actually pretty useful for Christians uh, and for Christianity to rationalize their belief system. So the founder of Neoplatonism is Ammonius Sakas. And his disciple was Plotinus, who's the most famous uh, Neoplatonist, we may say. And then his disciple was Porphyry, who collected all of Plotinus' writings into the Aeneads. 
which are um, this collection of uh, treatises. And then um, the uh, Porphyry's disciple was Iamblichus. So the monism of Plotinus, which we will be explaining in just a moment, uh, can be seen as a synthesis of ancient philosophy because it combines Aristotle, Plato and Stoicism. And we will see um, why that is. And also it marks the end of ancient philosophy uh, because Neoplatonism kind of relates and connects ancient philosophy with um, medieval philosophy. So it is kind of a bridge between these two philosophies in history, these two historical periods in philosophy. So let's address one of the core aspects in Neoplatonism and in Plotinus philosophy, the great chain of being. So uh, according to the monistic view in Plotinus, Everything stems from one source, and that is why this is called monism, because everything starts from the one. The one is the source of everything. And uh, you may say, how come the one creates everything? Well, according to Plotinus and Neoplatonism, the one is so overabundant of being that it just cannot do anything but overflowing. And this overflowing of uh, the one emanates, creates what uh, are called the emanations, uh, which are the different stages from which the one emanates and expands. So we have the one, which is the source of um, the source of being, the godness, the divinity, and even the goodness, because in Plotinus, as we will see, being equals good, which equals God or Godness in a very impersonal way, though. So from the one stems and actually emanates the divine mind or the intellectus. Then we have the, the word soul or the anima mundi in, in Latin. Uh, which is uh, the world, the soul of the world, and then we have the universe and the matter. Um, we may see that the two main emanations are uh, basically these. So we have the one from which it emanates the uh, universal intellect, from which it emanates the world soul, from which we see emanating nature and we are part of nature so we are part of this emanation from the one these are also called in neoplatonism hypostasis which means like um i guess it's a term similar to the sanskrit avatara which is uh, more known in the hindi pronunciation avatar in english uh, but yeah, it, it, it is like um, the concretization. Uh, it is something which is made concrete from something which uh, stems and emanates from above. So it is um, interesting to see uh, how the one uh, emanates. It is uh, a difficult concept to grasp, actually, because um, 
this has been adopted by Christians to kind of explain how God creates the world. But in Plotinus and in, in the Neoplatonic monism, we don't really have the idea that the one which is God or Godness in an impersonal way um, decides to create the world. In Neoplatonism, actually, uh, there is no intention from the one to create the world. You can imagine it like a fountain. It's a fountain which is so overabundant of water that cannot do anything but overflowing. Or you can imagine it like a, a flame, the flame of a candle. So the one would be the flame of the candle and the flame of the candle itself. And the emanations will be the warmth or even how the, the warmth which gets dispersed from the candle. So you can see that the further you move from the actual flame, the less and less warmth or uh, yeah, all the, the particles that the flame emanates will be perceivable. They will still be there. If you have a flame and a candle in a room, even at the extremities of the room, there, if you were to observe it from a microscope, from a microscope, you will have uh, that there will be particles or uh, effects created by that flame at the center of the room. But the further away you move from the actual flame, the less visible, the less sensible those effects are. And this happens with us as well. So according to Plotinus and Neoplatonism, we as part of nature, are so removed from we are so removed from the one that uh, we are not able to even though we are still connected to the one and to God we cannot perceive it any longer because we are so far apart from it thank you so much Janet thank you so much for your donation it really means a lot So uh, moving on, uh, you can see that this movement, which you can you don't really have to imagine it as a movement from upward to downward, but more like uh, concentric circles, like something that emanates and expands in the space. Like the one is this central source from which everything stems and expands. But in this other graphical representation of the of how Neoplatonists Neo, uh, imagined the, the creation of the world, you can see that from the one you have the intellect, we have the word soul, and then matter and the individual souls. But this movement goes both ways. It means that um, just as the one cannot help itself, but cannot itself, but uh, cannot help but uh, overflowing into existence because it's just so overabundant of being. At the same time, us as human beings, even though we are so far apart from the one, from, from the source of divinity, we still have that spark of divinity within us, which allows us to move back to the source if we want it. So 
since the one is this is another interesting aspect in um, Neoplatonism what is called negative theology is not negative in the sense that it is harmful or evil it is negative in the sense that they understand things by negation by negating their opposite so since the one is God itself is godness itself and it is beyond our reasoning mind because as we have seen even our individual minds were uh, emanated from the one so of course we cannot fully grasp the oneness and god since the one is beyond our reasoning mind we cannot say what it is but only what it is not so by understanding what one is not we can we we get closer to not really understanding with our reasoning mind but grasp slowly and steadily what one is so for example we can say that one is not mutable that is not subject to change that is not finite and so on so this is a, a method of systematic critique of the layers belonging to the physical existence. Because you have to imagine that we are, according to Plotinus, we derive from the one, but we are so far away from the one that we have a very, it's very difficult for us to reclaim and regain that connection and if we are imprisoned since he also believed that we are imprisoned in our body which is a very platonic uh, concept uh, there are actually many elements of plato in plotinus uh, for example the idea that um, you have this intellectual sphere the um, a higher intellectus from which our individual minds derive but yeah also the idea that our bodies are an imprisonment and even our reasoning mind can imprison us and can um, be a hindrance towards our reconnection to the one so it is important for us to use our minds not to directly understand the one but to remove all the layers of falsity and illusion that are in front of us. So how to reach the one then, according to Plotinus and Neoplatonists? Take away everything and what would be left is it. So everything that you can perceive with your five senses, with all the limitations with which we are equipped as human beings when you remove all of those layers what is left is that spark of oneness that can allow us to move back upwards which is of course not really a movement upwards but more a movement towards the source and hence uh, regain that kind of godness that we have not really lost but we are far far removed from that source so there are degrees of unity 
the degrees of unity increase moving from bottom up to the chain of being. And this concept of the chain of being, which I've just explained, we will find it if we, as I hope, will do other lectures on other philosophers, uh, hermetic philosophers, Renaissance philosophers, we will find this chain of beings quite often. And I am, uh, as we will see in other uh, videos and in other episodes, these have had a massive impact on how we today conceptualize magic. And we will see that. Um, uh, so yeah, philosophy and contemplation are key tools in Plotinus, but it is important to say that he didn't mean philosophy as we do today. Um, it's not really speculation. Philosophy, as he conceptualized it, is more contemplation. It is, I, I guess, similar, more similar to a form of meditation. And uh, yeah. It is, it is considered to be uh, an important tool uh, for Plotinus so that we can uh, actually move back <laughs> to the source from which we have been emanated. So now uh, let me answer a few of your questions. Thanks again, Janet. <laughs> it's really your donation is really appreciated. So let me see if there are any questions. Uh, question, where are you from? I'm Italian. Yes, Academic Police already answered that. Thank you also Academic Police for helping me. <laughs> um, Nadia, I see a question. At, at the start of your question, oh, okay, you were just Thank you, Nadia, for helping <laughs> out moderating. Um, Symphonia Cosmica asks, did Neoplatonists saw the different divisions, one word soul through matter, as planes of existence or abstract concepts? Um, Did Neoplatonists saw the different divisions? Uh, well, uh, first of all, it's important not to see them as divisions, but as emanations, um, because it, yeah, uh, they are emanations from the source, and they are not seen really as planes of existence. They have been interpreted later, uh, as we will see. They have been interpreted as different realms of existence. Um, but that is a later reinterpretation. Neoplatonists and Plotinus actually didn't quite see them as different planes of existence, but just different um, stages of the unfolding of the one into the many, into the multiplicity. Uh, Helena uh, is asking, divine mind, and word soul, uh, what actually is contemplation for Plotinus? How can we reach that state of awareness? Um, uh, I, uh, Helen, I don't understand your first question. Uh, oh, what is, oh, sorry, what is divine mind and word soul? So the divine mind would be the 
um, a higher intellect, which is similar to how Plato conceptualized the world of ideal forms. So it is similar to Plato's idea in that, um, I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but according to Plato, uh, there is a world of ideal forms where all the um, multiple manifestations in our reality stem from. So for example, all the horses are a projection of the idea of the horse, the horse that contains all the multiple manifestations of the, of the horse. So the way Plotinus conceptualized the universal intellect is very similar to how Plato um, saw the world of ideal forms. It's like the um, uh, primordial forms from which um, the, the multiple manifestations that we see in reality stem from. Um, then, uh, what is the word soul? Um, it's the, um, the, the soul of the word or the word soul or the anima mundi in Latin is the, um, is the word, is nature basically, which is infused with the soul. So according to Plotinus, what comes first is the soul of the world, and then what comes after in the process of the emanation from the one is the material world. So the soul of the world comes first and the material manifestation of the world comes later. You have to imagine that according to Neoplatonist, matter, and that's how you can see also the influence of Gnosticism, the matter is the farthest thing from godness. So the more we see matter, the more we see the concretization of things, the more removed, the more far away, not removed because we are never removed from the one, the more far away we are from um, the source. Oh, thank you, Thomas. Nice to see you here. Uh, hi to you and Teresa. Um, also, uh, John asks, uh, where does Neoplatonist saying that evil comes from? Oh, I will uh, go into evil just in a, in a few moments, John. Uh, so I will be asking that in depth. <laughs> so N.A. asks, uh, did they believe back then that the source could be communicated with directly? Um, I wouldn't say directly because um, as we saw in our graphical representation, we are very far away from the one. So there are quite a few stages before we actually reach the source. But yeah, they do believe that you can go back and get, re and get reunited with the one. Um, then Dale asks, uh, was the idea of the monad or a spring principle known among the common people and part of the Hellenic religion? Um, sorry, I don't think I read it correctly. Uh, was this idea of the monad? It's not uh, like the monad, Dale. It's not the same as the monad. The monad comes later. This is monism. But thank you for pointing that out because actually that was, um, uh, that had, and a massive influence um, 
um, yeah, um, Leibniz and Spinoza and other philosophers later. But yeah, it's not the same idea of a monad. It's not the idea of a monad. It's the idea of oneness, which unfolds into the multiplicity. Uh, what is the supreme principle known among the common people and part of the Hellenic religion, or was this a concept only known among philosophers? Oh, um, Dale, are you asking whether this idea was uh, a common one in in Greece and Italy at the time? Um, oh, thank you, Eddie. <laughs> I just saw your donation. Thank you so much. I always read your comments, by the way. I love reading those. So... Um, I think I, uh, I I answered all the questions. Uh, Dale, just please um, explain further your question because I don't think I quite get what you what you mean. Um, are you asking whether at at, his, at the time of Plotinus his ideas were known by uh, common people? Um, he did try to divulge his ideas but it wasn't like a very popular um, philosophy I'd say that uh, it was more known among philosophers at the time at fi uh, among philosophers who used to call themselves as Platonist or Platonist rather than Neoplatonist uh, okay I think I can go back to the slides now um, Oh, thank you, Eric, for being here. It's nice to see you. So, let's now uh, dive deeper into the idea of emanation and monism. As I said, it's not the same as a monad, which we see later in philosophy. Monism is more the idea that everything is ultimately one. And this can or cannot be associated with the idea of pantheism, which means that um, God is that the Godness is in everything, which we will see in a moment. So emanation is neither imitation nor creation, and that is how this is actually, even though it has been um, utilized by Christians in order to rationalize their belief system is not quite the same, um, it, it's not really the same as what Plotinus was saying because uh, Plotinus does not see the one as a god creator. Plotinus sees the one as the source of creation which creates beyond itself just because it cannot do anything other than that because it is just over so overabundant of being that it is it by its own nature it overflows just like a fountains which um, you can see uh, overflows on different on multiple um, levels so multiplicity um, the multiplicity is both an effect of the one but um, the multiple manifestations of the one are not other from the one. 
So the, the multiple manifestations that we see in our reality are an effect, but they are still the one. Um, it is not really distinct, distinct entities, but the same entity to, to different degrees. So how much are we the one then? Since we emanate from the one, so it means that we retain some kind of connection. But are we the one then? So we will see that later in Hermetic philosophy, this idea will, we will see a similar idea, but uh, quite differently. We will see that later um, in the talk. But in Plotinus, you are not the same as the one. You derive from the one, but what changes in all the emanation, across the emanations from the source is the degree of godness that you retain. Um, to better understand this, um, you can imagine godness as like a quantity. So it's like the source, the source of godness has like a thousand, nine thousand points of godness, and then the more it spreads apart, the fewer and fewer god points it retains it's actually very difficult to explain with words and plotinus would really would not like me explaining it this way plotinus would say you cannot say what the one is you can only say what the one is not <laughs> but in order for me to convey with words what he meant I take a bit of a license. And so, yeah, uh, I, I say that in order to better understand it, you can imagine it as in a quantitative way, because you are still connected with one, but since you are so far removed from the source, there are very few elements of the one which you still retain. And so you have to move back to the source in order to reacquire those God points. Plotinus would get really mad at me by explaining it this way. But... Um, so it is not pantheistic. So uh, a monistic idea, the idea that everything is ultimately one can be pantheistic. And as I said, pantheism means that Godness is in everything, but it, for Plotinus is not precisely like that, because the one does not coincide with the word. The word derives from the one, but the one and the word are not God to the same degree. They are God to different degrees. So the word is God to a much lesser degree than the one has. Much, 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 much lesser degree than the one, has, the one is. Whereas, for example, in other philosophies, in other pantheistic philosophies, or even in animism, uh, as we see in forms of shamanism, we have the idea that the word coincides with God, which means that God is literally in everything, that a chair is God, that um, a gemstone is God. Whereas in Plotinus and Neoplatonism, you don't have the idea that the word and God coincide. They are, they all are manifestations of God, but to different degrees. And the degrees that 
to which you retain godness is of course essential to determine <laughs> um, yeah the even the agency uh, that uh, that being has so the ethical uh, aspect of neoplatonism is pretty interesting and we will go to the concept of evil uh, which was uh, asking the questions uh, so the human body is considered to be a prison for the soul here we see remembrances of plato and gnosticism so the idea for neoplatonists is to live a life of contemplation where you have an ascetic so it is a kind of an ascetic philosophy uh, so they would um, focus on ascending and re and becoming gods which is something that we find also in the left hand path as i mentioned in one of my videos but here you become god by freeing yourself from the imprisonment created by your body which being um, made of matter means that it is very far removed from the one which is immaterial ethereal is even beyond ethereal so you people can uh, have a gradual return to the one through contemplation harmony art and music music is really music and art are considered to be very important because they are human endeavors which go beyond humanity so the beauty and um, you know when you for not, not the beauty that you see on instagram uh, but you know when you see like a, a beautiful sunset or a beautiful dawn or you listen to a music that just awakes you to a degree where you've never felt um, before so it is it is you know those kind of experiences which just throw you out of your human state it's like boom <laughs> it's just like mm, giving you a taste of the beyond of um, it is pure feeling pure emotion it's, it, it bypasses your rational mind and just gives you a taste that you can feel beyond your senses. It is a, a degree of astonishment which connects you to what goes beyond you being a human and according to Plotinus would give you a glimpse of, of the one. So, um, According to Plotinus, this kind of intentional ascent uh, can never quite reach the one, especially if you do so intentionally, and especially as long as you are in a, in a physical body. But um, Plotinus do mention that unintentionally, by constantly practicing contemplation, or what would be now called meditation, you can reach states of reconjunction with the one. Um, as long as you are in a physical body, you cannot be completely re-immersed in the one, but you can access and get connected to that source. So 
you can do so by an intentional mystical ecstasy. And it is important for it not to be intentional because when it is intentional, there is a, co a component of your reasoning mind which, uh, as we have seen in our uh, graphical representation, is not considered by Plotinus to be near the source, but actually pretty far removed from the source of the One and Godness. So let's see now the problem of evil. I think that the, the problem of evil is uh, particularly interesting because it helps us not only understand evil in Neoplatonism, but also better understand how they conceptualize the one. So pure evil does not exist. <laughs> um, the thing is that, um, as I said, for Plotinus, the one God is good. So there is a... Um, for Plotinus, God equals good, and being or existence equals good. And these are all concepts which he sees as united, actually the same thing. So God is existence, existence is good. So um, evil is the absence of good. So, of course, evil can only exist for human beings or, you know, later emanations from the one. Pure oneness is pure existence. So, what is evil? Evil is a force of destruction. And the one, or God, or Godness, is a force of creation. So, evil, or destruction, can only exist in the absence of existence, where something is, is missing. The idea here is that when you are God, when you are existence in the fullest, more um, expanded way possible, you are pure existence. Pure existence is pure creation. Pure existence is pure connection. So if you are everything that is, if you are pure, overflowing existence and creation, how can evil or harmful, any harmful behavior exist or occur in such a scenario? It is just not possible, according to Plotinus. Evil only occurs when there is a lack of being, a lack of godness and a lack of existence. So for example, we human beings are a mixture of existence and non-existence. And that is why we are subject to decay. That is why we age and we die. Because we are existing, but at the same time we are not because we are both living and dying at every single moment, every single time. And so since we are this mixture of being and non-being, we are also a mixture of good and evil, of creation. We are constant creation, but we are also, also constant destruction. We, are, um, we have within ourselves the good as a creative state and a creative endeavor, and we have evil because we do harm because we are in a state of emanation 
where we see a separation between ourselves and others. And so this distinction, this separation creates um, lack of being and lack of goodness, according to Neoplatonists. Now let's see other questions, whether there are other questions for me to answer. So, oh, hi, Andrew. Andrew is always there. I love that. Uh -huh. Let me see whether there are questions. Please do remember to, if you have, if you do have a question, to write question in caps lock as your first word so that I can easily spot whether there are questions. Oh, John Francis asks, does Neo, Neos uh, believe this? What do you mean by Neo? Neoplatonist. Uh, does Neo believe this? He transcends all wisdom and is above all intellect and is above all glory. Um, please expand more because your question is not clear. Um, Fernando, where are you from, Fernando? Are you Spanish or Italian? <laughs> um, Question, is Plotinus' philosophy an extension of Pythagoras' uh, Tetractis or Tetractus? Um, no. <laughs> I mean, uh, of course Plotinus is a, um, a Greek philosopher. Uh, he's within, he, um, he's still part of the ancient Greek Italian philosophy, but um, no, it's not quite related. It, it, I wouldn't say it's an extension of Pythagoras, but Pythagoras is definitely an interesting philosopher, which we should address in another live stream lecture and how his philosophy is connected to magic and hystericism. Uh, Eric asks, uh, so would Plato's evil be the same as what he, as what we call entropy? Um, now I was referring to Plotinus rather than uh, Plato, uh, Eric. Uh, but uh, actually, this concept of evil in Plotinus is pretty similar to Plato. Not quite the same, but is similar. Um, but uh, would um, the concept uh, would the evil in Plotinus be the same as entropy? Um, it's a good question, Eric. I don't think that he would have thought so, though. Um, no, because it is more for Plotinus and Neoplatonists, evil is more, yeah, is there it derives from um, a lack of existence to different degrees. So yeah, I'd say that it is different from he he would say that uh, it is different from entropy. But that's a, a very good question. So 
Purple Pumpkin People asks, isn't good and bad just a matter of opinion only? Uh, not according to Plotinus <laughs> and Neoplatonists. We can argue that from our personal standpoints, but um, since we are talking about Neoplatonists, I can tell you that they didn't think that it was a matter of opinion at all. Uh, Helena asks, um, what does the fire represent for Plotinus? Um, what do you mean by the fire? Uh, do you, are you referring to my example of the candle? That was my example. Um, it was my example to, to say, to, to give you like a, a visual manifestation of what one may unfold into. So you have the, the flame at the center of, of the room and the, the warmth can be detected even at the limitations of the room, but you cannot really perceive that warmth through your five senses because it is so dispersed into the air that it is difficult to see, to perceive, but it is still there. It is a way of saying that um, to, to imagine how Plotinus saw the word unfold and emanate from the one. Um, Dale asks, um, is this idea of evil the same as the Greek concept of miasma in Greek religion? No, it's not really the same. But thanks for asking. Or, I'm glad, Helena, that uh, I answered your question. Uh, Ken asks, is the Neoplatonist conception of evil as a lacking or a void similar to or connected with the Kabbalistic notion of the abyss that separates the supernatural triad from the created world? That is a very good question, Ken. Actually, well, if we have to be precise, it's not the same, but I can tell you that in the Renaissance there have been, and we will go into a few of these later, not into Kabbalah, I'm afraid, um, because that would deserve um, its, own <laughs> its own lecture. But yeah, I can tell you that there have been reinterpretations of the Neoplatonic philosophy which uh, are connected to uh, Kabbalistic ideas, especially the Hermetic Kabbalah, which is uh, a form of Western esotericism. Alexis asks, uh, if monism means we all come from the one, does that not have a great deal of issue with how we treat the world around us, given how all comes from one we harm pieces of the whole that is us. Alexis, that's just a, a brilliant question. And actually this concept of emanations uh, will be picked up in the, in the Renaissance once again. <laughs> and um, for example, in Giordano Bruno and in other philosophers who also talk about magic, they do believe that this chain of being means that, and even, I think that uh, even in Plotinus, yes, even in Plotinus you find this in the Enneads, we find this idea that we have to take care of the things that emanate 
um, from us. So since everything is a, is an emanation, there is also this idea that uh, all things that come first tend to take care for the ones that come later in the um, emanation stages. And this is because, of course, the action of emanating is a creative endeavor. And so, as we saw in for Neoplatonists, creation is good, and so it is also care. So they do have the idea of taking care of, um, like for example, animals and vegetables are considered to be further away from the one, like a further emanation. So we come first and they come later. And so they do believe that you, and you find this also in uh, other philosophers who picked up Neoplatonist ideas, that we should take care of the environment. And now they, yeah, it, they would seem like environmentalists, but at the time it was more like taking care of the, yeah, of the surrounding of nature and of animals. So Noel asks, so is evil a perception due to our willingness for survival? No, Noel, uh, evil is a lack of being. And since uh, for Neoplatonists, being and existence equals good because it is a creative force, the farther we are from the source, from the one, from godness, the more we acquire non-existence and as a consequence a destructive force which creates evil. Uh, Alexis, uh, would this have an interception with panpsychism? Um, it can be um, with panpsychism, I wouldn't say so because um, there is some kind in um, everything that can, that has pan uh, is pan is uh, Greek for all for everything. But um, the thing is that in the case of Plotinus and Neoplatonism, we don't have the idea of the all of the whole and of the all. <laughs> we have the idea of the one, which emanates into the multiplicity. So, no, I wouldn't say that it can be related. I mean, you cannot find a monistic worldview in uh, panpsychism and in pantheism, but monism, at least the monism of Plotinus and Neoplatonist, is neither pantheistic nor uh, panpsychist. Okay, let's move on with the slides then. So now let's see a few of the philosophers who have reinterpreted uh, or expanded more, uh, expanded more in their own ways the philosophy of Neoplatonists. And of course, in this case, we will relate this to magic. So um, Iamblichus um, picked up a few of the ideas of Neoplatonism. Uh, and he tried, it's interesting because we find philosophers who are, 
who utilized neoplatonist ideas to explain and rationalize Christianity, whereas here Iamblichus tried to do the same with pagan, with Greek pagan polytheism. So he tried to re-elaborate Plotinus and neoplatonic ideas to revive uh, the Greek pagan polytheism. So he created a multitude of hypostases. So he, he conceptualized more, um, more emanations from the one. And not only did he conceptualize those, but also the possibility of them to interact with each other. Whereas in a Plotinus philosophy, you do have this emanation, but they are not quite really in a communication with each other. I mean, um, because as, for example, we can uh, slowly move forward towards godness, but through stages of contemplation and emanation, it's not really like the hypotheses have this kind of communication as you find in Iamblichus and in other philosophers who reinterpreted Neoplatonic ideas. So here the one and the many are now in communication and you will see this is the first stage for our contemporary idea of magic and as influenced by Neoplatonism. So here before we had with Neo with um, Plotinus, we have the idea of transcendence and immanence. So transcendence means that the God is outside nature. Immanence means that God is inside nature. With the monism of Plotinus, we have both because we have that the one is transcendence in that that amount of godness is only retained by the source, but at the same time in the world, there is some degree of godness, even though to a much, much lesser degree. So here in Iamblichus, we have um, a more emphasis toward the immanence, toward the existence of the one in all the stages of the emanation, and also, he restored the active human agency. So in Plotinus, we have the idea that you can only move forward towards the one through act of unintentional ecstatic contemplation. Whereas here, you start to have the idea that human beings can have an active role into reuniting themselves with one. And we will see that that is really important for the construction of the idea of magic in the Renaissance and up until this day. So Marsilio Ficino is another key point, a turning point in history. If it wasn't for um, Marsilio Ficino, we wouldn't, I, I, we may not have had Plato, <laughs> the, the, the influence that Plato has had on European and Western philosophy may have not occurred um, had Marsilio Ficino not translated into Latin uh, his works. And it's interesting because Marsilio Ficino did all of his works financed by, funded, I should say, by his patrons. And it's fascinating because now I also have my patrons. 
thank you. <laughs> uh, and yeah, even with Justin's Sledge of Esoterica, we were um, kind of amused and um, I think it's a, a very nice thing how things, you know, come back in fashion. <laughs> so, um, Marcio Vicino at uh, Cosimo de' Medici, I have my inner symposium on Patreon. <laughs> so, uh, he translated uh, Plato, Plotinus and the Corpus Hermeticum in uh, Latin. And at the time, Latin was the international language, just as now English is in the international language and before English, French was the international language. So at the time it was Latin and so translating something into, into Latin meant that other people in Europe could access those works. And that had a massive impact on the, de the development of medieval and Renaissance philosophy. Uh, Renaissance philosophy, I should say, mo mostly. Uh, so Marsilio Ficino, interestingly, has a Christian view of magic. Um, he creates this uh, distinction between natural versus demonic magic. You know, at the time there was the Inquisition and uh, also not only because of the Inquisition, because you find this in, in other Italian and German uh, philosophers and magicians of the time. Um, you have the day distinguished between two forms of magic, one which is fine, <laughs> it is good and it is related to religion, and the other one which is bad and should be punished. So some call them natural magic versus witchcraft, <clears throat> others call them um, natural versus demonic magic, the concept remains kind of the same. So natural magic is the magic that utilizes the hidden forces of nature, whereas demonic magic or witchcraft is the um, uh, magic that entails communication with uh, demons or other entities, which would be, of course, forbidden. Sorry, I have to take a... <clears throat> My uh, voice starts to... <clears throat> Uh, so, natural magic uses the hidden laws of a nature which is created by God. So, Marsilio Ficino thought, since as long as you use magic through the natural elements, the use of herbs, concoctions, or even the hidden and concealed laws within nature, then you are just using what God gave you because God created nature and so God also created those hidden laws and hidden forces which you can channel and utilize to affect your reality. So here in Marcelo Ficino we find a combination on, of uh, Neoplatonic and Hermetic philosophy because we do have the chain of beings but we also have the idea that the human becomes at the center, which is something that we have in Renaissance and Hermetic philosophy. So in Neoplatonism, we have that as human beings, we are the farther away from the one. So we are like the least, we have the least amount of godness that there is. Whereas in Hermetic philosophy, you have the idea that as above, so below, and the human is kind of at the center and can connect these two 
um, these two words. So he combines these two, these two ideas. So he adopts the idea of the chain of beings, but also puts the human, the human being back in charge. So here we have um, uh, a graphic manifestation of how Marsilio Ficino uh, thought of the influences of planets. So it is interesting because um, within the realm of the hidden forces of nature, you also find planetary influences. So to connect with entities, demons is not fine, but to channel the influences of the planets or herbs or gemstones, that is okay. So here we see, and this is very important to see how this affected our contemporary understanding of magic. And you see that from the, the planetary influences, the first primordial primary way of channeling those is the vis imaginativa, which in Latin means the force of imagination literally would be like the strength of imagination, the imaginative strength. But yeah, let's not be too philological about it. Let's say the power of imagination. And so the power of imagination unfolds into the vis imaginum, the power of images, the vis verborum, the power of words, the vis musices, the power of music, and the vis rerum, the power of things, natural qualities of the elements. And you can see that from these hidden forces in nature, you can have effects. And he even acknowledged the fact that this magical way of channeling these hidden forces in nature could have psychological uh, effects which could be uh, subjective and uh, intersubjective, and also physical effects like on the body. I went more into details on this in the lectures for my Magus level patrons. So I think that I will, I will go on and just have um, answer your questions later because I can see that it's already 10 past. So let's now see how this has influenced our contemporary esotericism. Of course, this is not comprehensive. It can't be. <laughs> this lecture would need to be, you know, a series, <laughs> not just one. Uh, but yeah, you we find in contemporary esotericism, elements which stem from um, Neoplatonism and reinterpretations of Neoplatonism, such as the correspondences. So we have the idea that colors, specific candles, specific shapes, specific scents and herbs have a power to connect you with the intended purpose. So it is here the idea that reality is made of a web of hidden forces. It is like a series of threads that you need to find. It's like you cannot really see them, 
but you are immersed within this web of threads and you just have to find how to pull one thread so that you can affect something that is actually at a far distance from you. So here you have the idea of correspondences, that there are things that resemble each other or there are some, somewhat in some hidden way, according to some concealed law of nature that connects the two. So that if I use a walnut, I can affect a brain because it resembles a brain. And a Renaissance philosopher would say, um, working upon the reinterpretation of Neoplatonism and Hermetic philosophy, if this walnut is found in nature with the shape of a brain, that it means that it retains an element or elements influences that connect it with a with a brain. So things that resemble each other are not by just by chance resembling each other. Things are connected by invisible ties. This is one of my favorite uh, quotes from. It is attributed to Galileo Galilei. Um, things are connected by invisible ties. You cannot pick a flower without upsetting a star. Uh, so here the idea is that everything is connected as if there's this web that connects things even at a distance. So if you find the right thread to pull, you can move things at a distance. And by moving, I mean affecting. Um, these are also described by Fraser, James Fraser in the Golden Ball, um, as the law of contagion and the law of similarity. The law of similarity says that if two things resemble each other, it means that they retain uh, the power to influence um, each other. Because their similarity means that they, they that they are connected uh, to that web and they are kind of uh, on the same thread so that you by pulling one you can move the other and the law of contagion says that if two things have been in contact they retain an influence on each other so for example my hair even if it gets removed from my head it will still retain properties and a connection to me as a person or nails or any other uh, even uh, you know clothes that have been in contact with me may retain um, something which may be called fluid or uh, elements which uh, are connected to me and as a consequence they can be used in magic to influence that these are all based on the idea of correspondences which are related and reinterpreted from the Neoplatonic ideas of the one becoming the multiplicity. Because it's like, you know, this, it is creating the, the premises for this idea of connectedness. And of course, that, that, was, um, that was even more impactful with uh, Hermetic philosopher in hermetic philosophy which we shall have a lecture on in the future also the belief in human agency 
on non-visible realms of reality. This is something that we also find in Neoplatonism, this idea that um, you can, and especially reinterpretations of Neoplatonism, which we find, uh, as I said, um, in, in the Renaissance especially, this idea that human beings can have agency over things which are not visible because they are they do exist and they are connected to them even though and sometimes especially because they move beyond the realm of the five senses also as we saw with marsilio ficino the power of imagination you know that uh, in latin magus is uh, etymologically related to imago Imago is the, the same root as imagination, and it means create. <laughs> it means create by images, basically. Oops, sorry. Um, and also the idea of the hidden laws and forces of nature, uh, which we also find in contemporary esotericism, the idea that there are hidden forces which practitioners can work with and also um, the re-enchanted the re reality, the idea that um, this, of course, comes more from the Renaissance and pantheistic ideas. But uh, you see, Neoplatonism was a, a milestone and a stepping stone for those further developments in philosophy and in the conceptualization of magic to take place. So we have that herbs, gemstones, geometrical forms etc bear hidden powers and this is um, connected to the idea that the world is re-enchanted the world has a soul and the world and every manifestation of nature are connected with the one <laughs> all the multiple manifestations every single element is connected to the one and in a more pantheistic worldview every single element of reality is god so thank you for your attention and these are the references which you will also find in the info box now i'll go and answer a few questions before wrapping up the live stream so let me see I'm just trying to remember where did I leave? Where, where did I uh, leave? Zombie Angel <clears throat> asks, "What is the name of the philosopher who reinterpreted Platonism for polytheism?" Uh, it was Neo uh, Platonism. Um, it's Iamblichus. Iamblichus is a philosopher who kind of uh, expanded and reinterpreted Plotinus' ideas so that he could revive the Greek pagan polytheism. 
David Kirby asks, can non-existence be protective like a clock? Um, it can protect you from become a god, <laughs> according to Neoplatonism. <laughs> Eddie says, thanks to Patreon for Western esotericism. Yes, I can tell you that it is a... Yeah, it's, it's very nice how certain things come back in different ways and different ages. Mm -hmm. I'm as above, so below, also incorporates a bit of quantum universe theory. Thanks, Nadia. John Francis uh, question how do neos different differ from Plato's natural and demonic forces I believe the Plato believe the winds are demonic um, no when talking about demonic versus natural magic I'm talking about Marsilio Ficino and other Renaissance philosophers not about Plotinus at all, not about Neoplatonists. Um, and the daimon in Greek philosophy is completely a different thing, it's not what we mean by demons nowadays. Mm. So also, did you guys find this live stream helpful? Also, I can see that there aren't really many questions, so... Um, Michael asks, uh, what is your favorite esoteric text? Uh, thank you, St Stephen Pavlonic. Um, you say, Angela, great job. Um, my favorite esoteric text, mm, it's very difficult to only <laughs> uh, select one. I guess the Corpus Hermeticum, but also the De Magia by Giordano Bruno and the Sensurarum et Magia but by Tommaso Campanella. Uh, it must be translated in English. It means the, the meaning of things and magic. I think that uh, I also should address a few um, philosophers who talk about magic, which um, maybe have not been translated in English or they are not as known, uh, because some of them really have interesting ideas of magic mm. I'm trying to see whether there's any question that I skip do you think our perception of Neoplatonism came from the mm, Maimonides way of thinking um, no 
I'm uh, no, I think that um, that had an influence, but um, no, I wouldn't say that in Europe and in Western philosophy that was um, particularly impactful. Not that I know of, at least. But if you do have references suggesting otherwise, do drop them in the comment section uh, after uh, after the, the video, after the live stream ends, sorry. Uh, John Sweetman asks, how is the use of relics in the Christian church linked to Neoplatonism? Why would it be? <laughs> um, Christianity adopted, adopted the ideas of um, the one and how the one unfolds into the multiplicity to explain, to rationalize the Trinity at some point in history to rationalize the idea of the Trinity and how um, the God created, the, the, the Christian God created the world. But um, yeah, they adopted a few ideas of from Neoplatonism, but not really the idea of relics. Uh, Stephen, Neoplatonists fight, fight, uh, fought uh, Gnostics always, or was there a time of peace? Um, Neoplatonists uh, took some ideas from Gnosticism, but um, I'd say that the, the major and um, more influential philosopher was Plato and Aristotle. But yeah, you do have the idea of, uh, you know, the, the body as a, a prison for the soul and the idea of ascending. Eric asks, um, since all objects of the same type are related by emanating from the same ideal form, does Neoplatonic philosophy warn against affecting more objects than intended when practicing magic? Mm. Very good question, Eric. Uh, so. In this case, it depends if we talk about warn against. Well, Neoplatonism per se is not particularly centered around the idea of magic. It is more the reinterpretation of Neoplatonic thought, like in, especially in the Renaissance and from the Renaissance onwards, which um, like uh, all those ideas of correspondences are from the Renaissance and from also combination with Hermetic philosophy. Um, so Neoplatonists would only say you just have to contemplate and to contemplate or meditate in more contemporary um, terminology, using a more contemporary terminology and um, just basically seek for um, getting united with one in a more contemplative ascetic way so it's it's not really centered around the idea of magic but for those renaissance philosophers who reinterpreted neoplatonism and talk about correspondences also clearly influenced by hermetic philosophy i wouldn't say that they warn against affecting more objects than intended no 
because the idea the idea you find eric is that the the person the the magus is at the center and the will of the magus is extremely it is the fuel for those correspondences to you know get reunited and affect changes so you wouldn't really affect more things than intended because your will would drive you i guess but it is a i guess it's here i'm more in the territory of personal speculations around uh, the matter rather than what they actually said i haven't i guess the the correct answer is I haven't come across any specific text from these philosophers who mention anything of this sort. But if I if I do recall something like that, I will I'll tell you in our inner symposium, Eric. By the way, we are. Um, we are throwing a party, a live stream party. Possibly next week, if we get to 10,000 subscribers, and the party will be with my, with the members of my inner symposium, uh, that is my Patreon community, with the members of the channel, those who join in in our membership, and yeah, and that's it. Actually, I was thinking of inviting. Um, maybe an academic or two, but I want to discuss it with my inner symposium first to see whether they like it or not. I don't see any more questions. Hopefully I haven't missed any. Um, oh, I see Daryl Kidd says, what is black magic? Um, well, speaking of the philosophers we have covered in this lecture, uh, as I said, in the Renaissance, they distinguish between demonic magic, which they would consider what we now say is black magic, um, like evil, harmful magic, which is the one that uh, entails communication with demons. And natural magic is the good kind of magic, which... Um, yeah, which utilizes, um, oh, thank you, John Malone, for subscribing. <laughs> um, so, uh, and natural magic is the one that utilizes the natural forces and herbs and concoctions to affect changes. So, there really, what is the most powerful magic you have ever done? Uh, I'm a scholar, so I focus I focus on uh, academic knowledge around magic. Uh, I don't share my personal belief system. Uh, Helena, uh, Angela, do you think that one should read academic texts in Latin, or is it really difficult? Well, <laughs> uh, you you don't have to, but it's fun. Well, that is if you know Latin. I grew up eating pasta, Latin, and ancient Greek, so <laughs> yeah, I learned uh, Latin and ancient Greek way before I even learned my first word in the, in the English language. So, 
Yeah, I, I also did my master's my master's thesis on um, the um, Magia Naturalis by Giovanni Battista della Porta, uh, which was a text in Latin, and it was it was oh thank you Nelson for your donation. It was really it was really interesting because I had to go to this library and I couldn't even touch the books because they were like the original books from the uh, from the Renaissance and they had to you know flip the pages and I could read them just keeping my hands away so it was it was really interesting oh you meant esoteric text I think that there is value in reading every source in its original language and I also think that learning new languages really broadens your horizons and allows you to acquire it's not just speaking in a, in different words it's acquiring different categories whereby you can organize and build your thoughts so every language has a completely different system of um, yeah of um creating thoughts and uh, reasoning around things so the more language you the more languages you know the more words you'll be able to access Wittgenstein will be so would be so proud of me yeah I think that I'm going to wrap it up now since it's so it's it's already been <laughs> an hour and a half I'm going to answer the last few questions. How many lives have you had before this incarnation? Mm. I don't uh, really talk about my personal belief system. I'm sorry, John. Vidar uh, asks, is our existence seen as part of the one, subtracting or adding to it? Uh, is our existence seen as part of the... It, yes, our existence is seen as an emanation from the one and it's not. It's neither subtracting nor adding, it is just an emanation from it. It's like saying, for example, if you have a fountain which overflows into multiple layers and you will see that at the bottom layer you will have the least amount of water does that amount of water in the bottom layer adds or subtracts anything to the source of the water up on the fountain? I'd say neither. So, John Francis, Boris, um, okay. Is the one beginning and the end? Um, yeah, I guess in a circle way, because um, as human beings, we aim to ascend to the one. So to that extent, it can be soteriologically the end, but uh, not in a linear way. They, I don't think that Plotinus started in a linear way. But yeah, I think I'm going to wrap it up now. Um, and thank you. Um, very much for for coming this was really fun and i hope you also like the live stream do let me know and also you can uh, leave a comment 
in the comment section so that if there is any question that I miss in the chat because it, it goes very uh, very fast and it's difficult for me to pick up everything so if there's anything I haven't answered or more questions that um, come to your mind please leave them in the comment section and I will answer them because as you know I always answer um, to each and every one of your comments so yeah thank you very much for coming it really means a lot to me to see you all here and participating and participating with me in all the academic fun and thank you to every, everyone who will watch this uh, at a later date so if you did like this video smash the like button subscribe to the channel if you haven't already activate the notification bell and please share my videos it really helps us grow and as always stay tuned for all the academic fun bye for now <laughs>